And welcome again if you're just joining us. Someone once said that before a person is willing to open a Bible and read it and, and learn about God, they probably will want to read another book first. And that book is you and me because we represent God. The idea is that people may form an impression about God, about who he is, what he's like by looking at our lives, by observing us. And that could be a little scary. Someone might reject God because I don't always represent him very well. That's scary. But we don't have to live in fear because it's God through his power who brings people to, to trust in him. And he is perfectly capable of overcoming any bad impressions that we might give in our lives. We certainly don't want that to happen. But he's also equipped us to live a God-lived life. And that is the, the theme of the series that we're starting today, A God-Lived Life. And we're going to be asking some questions about our, uh, of ourselves and, and about our lives. Does my life tell other people who I am? Does my life tell other people who God is? And what he is like. Does it reflect him to others? Kind of like we just sang about in the song. And how can I do that in my life? How can I live a, a God-lived life? And, and why should I want to do that? There are so many facets of living life as a Christian. And we won't have time to talk about every single one of them and, and how it relates to this. So, so we've picked three. And the first facet that we want to talk about today is service. So I want to start out by asking you a question. When you came into church today, did you expect to be served? Think about it. Did you expect to be served? Did you expect that there would be someone at the front door to greet you warmly as you came in? Did you expect that there would be an usher here to hold an umbrella over you as you came in out of the pouring rain, or find a seat for you because there were so many, so many people here, or find the bathrooms because it's your first time here? Did you expect that the musicians would be well-prepared? to help you sing songs? Or are you hoping that someone prepared some delicious refreshments and coffee for you to, to eat and drink after the service? Are you expecting that the pastor is well prepared to preach an inspiring message to you? You're going to have to wait and see on that one. <laughs> but uh, would it be reasonable to assume that in coming here you would be served? Before we answer that question, Let's go, let's go back in time. Let's go back to today. We're, we're in 2022. We're going to go back in time in the history of the Christian church to about the year 43 to meet someone named Tabitha. Reading from the book of Acts chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. 
This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. We don't know a whole lot about Tabitha. How many of you have never even heard of Tabitha? Don't be afraid to admit it. Yeah, that's okay. We don't know a lot about her, but Luke gives some interesting details about her. One is the word he uses to describe her. He calls her a disciple. In the Greek language, like in Spanish and other languages, nouns can have gender, right? Masculine or feminine. And this is the only time in the New Testament where the feminine form of the word disciple is used. What does that mean? Well, he doesn't tell us explicitly, but, but I think what he's trying to tell us is that Tabitha is a, a really great example of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows a teacher and who conforms her life continually and closely to what she learns from her teacher. It also says in Greek that you don't get that in the, in the English translation, but it literally says she was filled with good works. <laughs> kind of like a, a cup that just keeps getting fuller and fuller until it eventually spills over. And that was, that was Tabitha. So uh, these good things were just coming out, spilling out from inside of her. And no matter where she went, she was touching people with, with acts of love, with acts of compassion, with a life of service. I think we can say that everybody, every single person on this earth lives a life of service. But the question is, what kind of service is it? Is it service to self, or is it service to other people? When you look at how Tabitha is described, what kind of life was she living? It was a life that really tried to serve other people. I mean, why else were there so many sad people at her funeral? They were crying because why? They had probably been personally touched by her good works, by her acts of mercy and compassion. And maybe there were other people there who were just admiring the life of service that she lived. So how did Tabitha get so filled with all these good things? Remember that she was a what? A disciple. She was a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus was filling her heart, and so her life looked like Jesus. When we look at the lives of the, 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 lives of the 12 disciples of Jesus, we call them the 12 apostles, if you read through the Gospels, you get the picture that it took them a long time to really comprehend what it meant to be a disciple. In fact, I want to read a portion to you. Uh, this, this, this happened, uh, it's from Luke chapter 22. This happened when they had been with Jesus for almost three years, learning from him, sitting at his feet. And it happened the very night before Jesus died. And we can see that they just still didn't get it, but what it means to be a disciple. We read in Luke 22, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, the Son of God, did not come here to serve himself. He came here to serve us. Tabitha knew that. Tabitha believed that. She believed that he was the greatest servant of all. We could say he was the servant with a capital S, and that made her want to be a servant with a small s. She wanted to, to imitate him in service. She, never, she knew that she could never equal his service to her, but it moved her to want to, to do that caused her, her, her time was focused on Jesus and on his teaching, 
And that caused her to want to concentrate her time on other people and serve them just like Jesus did. But there's another person in this story. There are two people, right? Who's the other one? Peter. Tabitha and Peter. So if we were to compare Tabitha with Peter, we might not be all that impressed with Tabitha, with her service. Her service might not seem so consequential compared to Peter, right? Because, well, she was a disciple, but Peter was an apostle, sat at Jesus' feet for three years, learned from him. Tabitha sold clothes for poor people. But what did Peter do? Peter did miracles. What did he do that day? He even raised her from the dead. So if we compare those two and their service, we might think that Peter's was way more impressive and way more important than Tabitha's, right? The fact is, both of those kinds of service were necessary, and it was Jesus himself who inspired them to serve like that. And it was Jesus himself who equipped them so that they could serve like that. Another apostle, the Apostle Paul, talked about how that happens in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. He said this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What Paul is saying is that Jesus himself equips his disciples to serve. He, he puts the Holy Spirit in their heart to give them gifts so that they can serve his church. And it doesn't matter what it is. They don't all do the same thing. They do different things. And it doesn't matter how big or small their service might seem. Jesus wants them to do that. He equips them to do that so that they can serve him. So let's go back to our question, the first question that I asked you. Do you think it was reasonable to expect that when you walked into church today, you would be served? Yes or no? I would say yes, right? Because here there are disciples of Jesus who are being filled up with his teaching. Every time they come here, and even during the week, as they meditate on his word, they're being filled up with the teaching of Jesus, and that teaching is having an effect on them. And he's equipping them. He's given them the Holy Spirit. He's given them gifts to serve. The Christian life is a life of service. It's a, a God-lived life. Because he served us, we serve him. And we can serve him by serving other people. That's what Christians do. So yeah, you can reasonably expect that we would serve you when you came here today. Here's another question. When you go to church, whether it's here or at another church, do you expect that your church will ask you to serve? Do you hope that your church will ask you to serve? I hope so. Because, again, a God-lived life is a, is a life of service, and the Holy Spirit didn't, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit did not pass you over when he was distributing gifts. You have gifts that you can use to serve the one who served you and serve other people through him. So it's good for us to, to analyze what our attitude is about all this, about service. Would we say that we are more focused in our lives on serving ourselves or on serving others? Think about yourself. Is it, for, well, maybe we should ask the question, is it okay to serve yourself? How many of you made breakfast for yourself today? Right? How many of you went shopping this week to buy clothes or shoes that you needed or food? Raise your hand. Okay. You served yourselves. Is that bad? 
No. You have needs. It's okay to serve yourself. But the question is, is there balance? Is there balance in my life? Am I tilted way, way to this side, really serving myself mostly, not thinking about other people in my life? Or uh, am I am I thinking more about other people than myself in my life? What's our attitude about church? Is our view of church kind of like our view of Starbucks? How many of you, when you go into Starbucks, how many of you ask the barista, could I please help you prepare my cappuccino today? How many of you ask them that? If you did that, they'd go, what planet are you from? Like, people go into Starbucks to receive, to be served, to have someone prepare their coffee for them. In fact, You can't help anybody at Starbucks with their coffee drink unless you are a trained and paid employee, right? They don't want you messing up their their expensive machines. You can't do it unless you're paid. So if your view of church is like your view of Starbucks, then you might say, well, we do pay some people here. We've got pastors, we have a staff minister, a children's ministry coordinator, office administrator. So, So they're the ones who should be serving, not necessarily me. We could look around us and say, well, look at how many people there are here. I mean, like, sure, there's things to do, but there are plenty of people to do them, and so I don't really need to serve. Or maybe, maybe we have a gift that God has given us that we've kind of locked away, and we're saying to Jesus, no, sorry, Jesus, that gift is off limits. Or maybe even just the thought of of serving at church, might give us an inferiority complex. Because, man, I see so many people here who are so talented. They have so many gifts. And, and wow, people admire them for their service. And, and I think if I would do that, people would compare me with them and look at me and go, wah, wah, wah. Not very impressive at all. That would look bad. But on the other extreme, maybe we think that our gifts are so great and so wonderful that everybody else should step aside so that we can do everything because we will do it better. If we want church to be great, we don't want people with inferior gifts serving here. We want to do it ourselves because we have all these gifts and we're trained. That's a big temptation for a pastor like me. You say, hey, I'm trained. I'm a pastor. And like, I can do this better than, better than them. So eh, I'll do it and not give them that opportunity to joyfully serve the Lord. Or maybe, maybe this is a long shot, but Maybe you serve too much at church. Do you ever think about that? Maybe you're here too much. Maybe you're, you're neglecting serving your family or your community, and those are important ways to serve too. I think that sometimes we are a lot like the 12 disciples of Jesus um, before he died and rose from the dead, and we just don't get it all the time. We're, we're, we have attitudes that are wrong about what church is, what our role is. We have sinful attitudes about service, and that's why we need so much to hear again and again those very last words that Jesus told them in Luke 22. He said, but I am among you as one who serves. Amazing words, right? Because Jesus is God. He deserves to be served by angels in heaven, by every single creature in the whole universe. And what does that say? He says, I came here to serve. How? I'm going to go back to the Apostle Paul In his letter to the Philippians, he said this in chapter 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, he's true God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amazing. God becomes man. God takes on a human nature, and he comes down, and he doesn't live like God. He doesn't live like a king, like he could. He doesn't say, I'm here, and you're all here to worship me and serve me. He comes and says, I'm here to serve you. Why? Because he knows. He knows us. He knows that we could never erase the sin and disobedience that we've committed against God. He knows that we could never be worthy of God's love. And so he does it for us by dying in our place. Friends, there's really good news here. We don't have to serve God in order to earn his love. We don't have to serve God or serve him better in order to earn a relationship with him. That's all taken care of. Jesus did it all. Everything. Martin Luther liked to call Christians little Christs. We're like Jesus mini-me's. Like he's around creating disciples and little mini-me's, mini-Christs. How are we mini-Christs or little Christs? Well, first of all, we, we believe it. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. He's the promised Savior. We trust that through his life and death, our relationship with God is healed, period. We trust that through him, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, future, big, medium, and small. They're all gone. And that when God looks at us, all he sees is children whom he loves and will take to heaven someday. That's what we believe. And now we have the greatest reason of all to serve him, don't we? Gratitude. Because he did that for us. He served us, and now we, through his spirit, want to serve him, be a little Christ. And so that when people look at us, what we do, the way we live, the way we talk, our lifestyle, that they will see Christ in us. So if your church asks you to serve, how will you respond? If you're already serving, I'm really glad about that, and I encourage you to continue doing that. I want you to know, too, that... No matter what you do, by faith in Jesus and according to God's will, it is acceptable to God. He smiles, he loves it, and he is happy. And I urge you to continue doing that, whether it's big or small, whether people take notice, or whether it's just things that are done in secret that no one will ever know about. God knows, and he's happy. Whether you are a Tabitha or whether you are a Peter. And if you're not serving in your church right now, I urge you to find a way to serve. Here at our church, we have many ways, big and small, where people can serve. And to find out, it's really easy. You can just ask me. You can ask one of the other pastors or our staff minister, uh, how can I serve? You can even download our app, and there's a list on there of opportunities to serve. And you can check one and say, I'm interested in learning more about how I might be able to serve. I'm maybe interested in, in this. When you look at that list, you might see things that don't seem all that important. You might see kind of Tabitha things. And some Peter things, maybe. But, but you might say, well, how important is it that someone be greeted warmly at the door when they come to church? It might not seem all that impressive. But it is. It's all part of a greater plan. Because our goal is to share Christ with our community. We want them to see Christ in us. And whether it's greeting them at the front door, or whether it's preaching and teaching the Word of God, it's all important. It's all necessary. It's all appreciated, and it's all acceptable to God, and it's a thing that will give us great joy in serving Him. 
So, do disciples of Jesus come to church to be served? Do we? Yeah. We come and we tell our, our fellow believers, our fellow disciples, hey, be great in the kingdom of God. Serve me. Lay it on me. I'm here. Use your gifts that God has given you. And I will give thanks to God for you. I'll give thanks for your gift. And I'll thank you too. And I'll let you serve me joyfully because I know it's bringing you joy and you're serving Jesus that way. Do Christians come to church to serve? Yes, we do. We have the greatest reason to serve because Jesus served us. His life was lived for us. And now his love and his service move us to live a God-lived life. And that means, for a believer, a life of service. Amen. May his peace be with you today, tomorrow, and always. Amen.